Hello, this is Michael Stone, the host of We Earth Radio, where we have conversations that make a difference. We're committed to bringing you leading edge thinkers in the areas of environmental restoration, social justice, conscious evolution, and spiritual fulfillment. In our programs, we look for positive solutions to local and global issues that leave you touched, moved, and inspired to action. Our weekly guests include local and global experts and concerned citizens working together to heal the wounds that separate, alienate, and marginalize people. Hello, dear listeners. This is Michael, and today I'm going to play an excerpt from a talk I did on relational intimacy and relationships. I'm doing that because it's coming up and starting on Tuesday that I'm going to do a seven-week online course. And you can find out more just by going to welloflight.com. And it's right on the homepage there. I thought you might enjoy this conversation I had with uh, people online the other night. Welcome, everyone. I'm going to talk about relationship and relating, but there will be a new course that's starting next week. And part of this is to allow you to get a chance to find out about that. Tonight, we're really going to distinguish relating from relationship. You know, we have this thing, my relationship, you know, my, my relationship with my mother. I want a relationship. I had a relationship, but it was horrible. I have a great relationship. We, have, we talk about our relationship all the time like it's a thing. And in fact, it is a thing. When you look at relationship, it's a noun. And anything that is a thing can only come from one place, right? The past. So one of the things that gets us into trouble in relationships and in relating is that we're always going to the past to see, oh, who is this person I'm with? Can you imagine if you were with a partner and you woke up every morning and go, who is this person? What possibilities could we have today? And just like come from a place of not knowing and really true relating. So when I distinguish relating from relationships, I'm particularly talking about relating because relating is a verb and a verb is always movement, always action. Something's happening, something's arising. So when you look at the difference between relating, relating is a state of presence where I'm able to really be in my body and be with you and you're able to be in your body and emotions and be with me and we're able to then see what's arising in the moment rather than what we tend to do is always look at people from what we already know and of course the longer we're with somebody the more we have a history so we relate to people within the circumference of the image or story we have about the other person rather than what's emergent and happening in the present moment. So this is a problem in the world because when you look at all the issues we're dealing with right now, climate change, income disparity, war, and personal fights in our family, fights in our relationship, fights in our community, being right, disagreeing, COVID, all the different things that are happening right now, 
at the heart of all of those issues, whether they're the macro issues of the climate change and the big things that are happening in the world, or the little things that are happening in your own personal relationship or relationships with your family, friends, and your community, there's one issue at the heart of all of that. And that issue is relating. Relating is the key to solving every single issue that there is on the planet. So it might be a good idea to really question and look at how is my relating not really getting me what I want, not really getting the point I want to make, not really saying the things that I want to say and have them land in a way that something is manifested. So this call tonight is really to look at that, you know, how can I have a breakthrough in the way that I'm relating to myself first and to the world and to other people and the people that are not only close to me, but the people that are actually far from me, the people that I hold perhaps in disdain or that I have anger towards or resentment towards. And so that's the main distinction that we want to look at. Am I in relationship? Am I being only informed by my past or am i actually in the present moment with the person that i'm with in such a way that i can stay in my body i can feel my emotions i can feel the other person and i can be with them in a more intimate space and when i'm talking about intimate i'm not talking about sexually intimate it's the ability to see into each other and so we're looking at an opportunity to to have an evolutionary jump into the kind of relationship that is alive that is in the moment that as otto Sharmer talks about the, when we're in the presence and when we're presencing actually we're bringing the future into being the presence is always happening in that moment where we're alive where we're in communication, where we're co-creating, where we're interdependent. And so that's the purpose of this, is to really look at what is it that keeps us from truly being related? Because if you look at the world, we are already completely related, interdependent, and especially with the natural world, which we have moved into a way of looking at the world, which is based in separation. And this, what we call the Cartesian-Newtonian paradigm, that I'm an object over here in a world of objects. When you look at that, you can see how we could destroy our planet because it's just dead stuff out there. You know, they're just, they're just trees and rivers. And, and so we have not any kind of a sacred relationship or interdependency. In the Amazon, they have a word called Aini. It means sacred reciprocity, that, that I'm always in a reciprocal relationship with someone. But from a place of separation and individualism, which is a huge thing that we'll talk about, the, this idea, very, very Western idea of the rugged individual or the romantic individual, that I'm going to be the one that's going to be strong and do this and I'm going to make this happen. But in nature, everything is collaborative. Everything works together. It's not 
this kind of competitive, I'm either up, I'm grandiose, or I'm down, I'm filled with shame in my relationships. And we, when we look, look and see for yourself, how much, is that, how much of that is true, that when you enter relationship, you have this feeling of I'm above, I'm smarter, I'm better, or something like that, or I'm embarrassed that I'm not enough, and I can't be enough, and people are bigger than that. So we're on this continuum of individualism, which keeps us from being able to actually relate as a presence and as a connected sense of being. So when you're in a relationship, you're basically in a non-emergent paradigm. In other words, since you're being informed by the past, there's nothing new that can actually happen. When you're in a, an alive, relating kind of relationship where I'm actually present and I'm presencing, I'm bringing my awareness, I'm zooming in so that I can actually feel not only what's going on in me, but what's going on in the other person. And that's an emergent connection. Then we have possibility, we have innovation, we have creativity. All of that comes from not what we already know, but being open to not knowing what's happening in the moment and just being open. John O'Donohue was a dear friend of mine, and he had a great one-line poem one time, and it was, I want to flow like a river, constantly supplies by my, my unfolding. I'd like to live like a river and be surprised about, whoa, what's happening? I think that's a, a great explanation for what a, an emergent relating looks like, like being surprised by the other person, wow, where did you where did you get that idea? How did that happen? That's amazing. And to really take somebody in and feel them fully. Now, the thing that is in the way is this thing that's getting more and more publicity and, and notoriety today is trauma. And of course, trauma, mostly when we think of trauma, we think of a big accident or molesting or some big thing that happened in our life the house burned down or something when I was a child. But that's only one kind of trauma. But what really is shaping this way that we interact and react in our relationship are really the little traumas, what we call the attachment traumas. So you have the big trauma, but you have just these little things where someone wasn't present for me and it was overwhelming. Someone didn't see me we're mammals and mammals evolve through co-regulation all mammals evolve through co-regulation what does that mean that means that if we didn't have caretakers parents family whoever was our caretaker we would die so the first necessary way to grow and learn is that we have a caring adult that nourishes, that sees, that hears, that feels, that connects with us, that gives us a sense of direction. Now, I would bet that everybody on here has at least some place where you were not seen, you were not felt, you were not heard. And that becomes an overwhelming event, especially in our early childhood, in our adaptive phase. At that point when we're in that very vulnerable, we're evolving 
as a human being, as naturally happens. So we go out and we're curious. So that's a big part of it. And we look around and then we have something happen and we run back and we say, oh, I'm scared, I'm scared. And you either get, there's nothing to be scared about. Don't worry about it. It's, you know, it's okay. And then we're left with, yeah, but I'm not supposed to be scared. My parent says I'm not supposed to be scared, but I am scared. So something's wrong. And we're not going to make our caregiver wrong. We're going to make who wrong? Ourselves. There's something wrong and there's something wrong with me. And that can be very overwhelming. And then that's where we adapt. We say, okay, if no one's there, I'm going to just do it on my own. Or we create ways to adapt. I'm going to be the beautiful one. I'm going to be the smart one. I'm going to be the caretaker. And so we form these adaptive roles out of these places where, where the pain of not being seen, not being felt, not being heard, or being yelled at and abused. So there's the subtle level, but there's also the big level of being abused. But anyway, that is so overwhelming that our intelligent nervous system, which has been evolving for hundreds of thousands of years, comes to the rescue. We have a, a nervous system that will protect us, that has protected our ancestors and all the people before us in our, in our lineage. And so we call on that. So we suppress the pain. We suppress the, the hurt. We push it down, right? And it, where does it go? It goes to the body. It's pushed down and it's held in the body. And how do we get rid of it? Well, for the most part, we just keep it down and then our adaptive child comes forward when anything is similar or a reminder of that. You know, many of you know, I worked in the corporate world for over 30 years and I can't tell you how many 50, 60 year old CEOs uh, can be transformed into a five-year-old in a New York minute that suddenly there's a tantrum. Well, it's being triggered into something that was never released, that lives in the body. And we all have this. And so the issue in and the opportunity in relating and relationships is to create space for that to come up and be felt and heard and seen. And so that's that's the work that we do here at the well of light is we work with people to connect in such a way that we can co-regulate in groups or individually or in the sessions that i do with people and that people can feel safe enough safety is a huge issue and so our neuroception depending on how much trauma we had is always looking, you know, always, is it safe? Is it okay? Always kind of strategizing. We don't even know that we do that, but there's, there's really about five common symptoms that when we work with trauma, we're looking for. The first one is that sense of separation that I talked about, being separate. I'm not connected, I'm separate. I'm separate from you, I'm separate from my relationships, I'm separate from life, I'm separate from nature. That's a whole program there to 
get in touch with where that separation generates from and learning how to reconnect with those things that we were pushing down so we would feel safe, we would feel protected, and we could function in life. Because the nervous system is only working to serve you in functioning in life. It's no such thing as a dysfunction. It's just a part of us that we don't know that's functioning to protect us. So once we allow that to come up and experience it, then we integrate it and it's no longer the past. Now it lives just like the story of my life. It's not the thing that's causing me to act and react in these ways. I'm in a relationship and I come home and my partner is upset with me and then all of a sudden we're in this fight and we're off to the races and the two adaptive children are going at it and the adults are nowhere to be seen the wise adult another symptom that we see in looking at these areas where we definitely have suppressed trauma is the area of scarcity that there's not enough there's not enough love there's not enough money there's not enough time and you find yourself racing because that's part of what happens. We, we start going fast and we are in our uh, sympathetic nervous system is saying, you got to get here. You got to get to this place. You got to move. You got to go. So we, we get terminally busy so we don't have to feel those things. So when we experience scarcity, then there's slow down. What am I grateful for? And of course, with that goes this sense of time because people who have trauma, have a, a sense of, of linear time, like, oh, I've only got this much time left and then I'm going to die. Very different than spiritual time or what is it the Greeks called it? It was emergent time anyway. It's um, kairos, kairos as opposed to logos, you know, linear time versus the fruit is ready to pick time. So that's one of the things we cover in the, uh, in the course a lot about, about time. And the antidote there is, of course, slowing down and the need to be in control. That's another symptom. You know, I need to be in control. I have to have everything perfect. I have to do it right. I need to have a plan for this and a plan for that. And in an emergent relationship, you actually are cultivating being not in control, the ability to actually watch the arising. What is it that is the movement of the showing what's coming up what's arising in our relationship together and that leads us to kind of absencing you ever drive the car for like 100 miles and realize that you didn't see anything that's absencing but we also do it at work we do it in relationships we do it when we're multitasking there's many ways that we absence and of course the antidote to that is presencing how do i bring myself back when I'm in a relationship and presence myself. So these are the things that stop us, but also we say, oh, if I could just get over this, there's always this other place to be. It's like, this isn't the right place, but there's an ideal place. There's an ideal relationship. This person is almost, she's pretty close. He's pretty close to my ideal, but if she or he could just work on a few things, so we're always looking to change the outer world rather than coming into the inner world and dealing with expanding our capacity. So when we're dealing with trauma situations, there's a great deal of stress. 
we either blame out there or we find ways to not have to feel that. We watch Netflix or we drink or we take drugs or we any number of things that we keep from having to feel the feelings that are arising. And so this moving into the wise adult, as we allow ourselves to take the stress that we're feeling and go, well, what is this thing I'm calling stress? I was talking to somebody on my radio show the other day and I said, you know, it's almost competitive. People, I, I see people and they say, oh, I'm so stressed. I'm so stressed over this thing. And the other person say, yeah, I'm really stressed too. In fact, I'm even more stressed than you. And we, we get into like competition about who's the most stressed. But when you look at stress, it doesn't really say anything. It's like, I say I'm sick. Well, what does that mean if I say I'm sick? It really doesn't mean anything. I have a cold. I have COVID, I have stage four cancer, leprosy, whatever, you know, what is it that I'm talking about? It doesn't say anything. The same thing with stress. When I'm stressed, I'm actually saying something is too much for my current capacity to meet at this time. Something is too much for my current capacity to meet at this time. So stress which is a trauma response, is about capacity. How can I increase my capacity? When I talk about capacity, I'm particularly talking about the interior. Because if you feel into your body, you'll notice that there's a sense of being very tight and compressed sometimes, and other times feeling really open and spacious inside. When you're feeling that compression, that's a lack of capacity. So as I begin to feel my feelings and begin to recognize, and I recognize through relating and through relationships, because that's where I get the greatest triggers, and I can make it about the other person, or I can go, boy, I'm really triggered. Here's something I can work with. My shadow is coming up. So I can work with this now, and I can allow myself to feel, what is that feeling? Oh. I'm feeling blamed or persecuted now. Hmm. Where do I feel that in my body? Oh, I feel a tension in my body. Okay. What emotions am I feeling with that? I'm feeling fear. Wow. And then I, I realize, oh, that's a really old feeling. I've had many times of feeling persecuted in my life or feeling blamed or feeling not seen, whatever those are. And then I allow that to come up and it arises in me. And then by being with it, I can feel it fully. And it actually integrates from being something stuck in my body, some tension in my body to a release. And that increases our capacity to hold the world. And it increases our capacity to move from reaction in relating to choice. It's like, um, Viktor Frankl said, the last of the human freedoms is the freedom to choose our response under any given circumstance. This is a man who spent years in Auschwitz. So, you know, that's a pretty big statement to say that. The last of our freedoms, the freedom to choose. How do you do that? You integrate those parts of us. How do we learn to integrate? 
Well, in the work we do, we're always working with meditation, contemplation, and prayer, but also working with each other so that we allow ourselves in a safe space to be together and be seen with all my warts and all my pain and all my struggle and all my suffering, not to wallow in it at all, but to allow ourselves to feel those feelings that we have not wanted to feel. And that, when it comes up, allows us to integrate, to digest those old wounds from the past. And that's the essence of this kind of work is to complete those old things so we can get more alignment with our soul's purpose. What's our soul's purpose? You know, we're always looking for purpose. Oh, where's my purpose? Oh, it's, a, it's this job or it's this business or it's that. No, your purpose is what's been passed down to you by your ancestors, actually. It's, it's what it is you have to work with in this life cycle. So the more that I can attune to and presence my interior, my feelings, my emotions, the more I'm able to share that and see it in others, the more I'm working on what my destiny has been up to this point from my ancestral lineage. Because you look at the same things you complain about. Well, my mother was great, but she was always this way. Yeah, probably her grandmother and great grandmother and great grandmother all the way back. Or my father was abusive like this. And you look and you see abusive people hurt people hurt people. You know, that goes back in the lineage. So you literally can heal the past as well as doing healing for your descendants. You can heal the wounding of the ancestors because they're still here they're in you and that's the work that we do is to work with that that legacy that comes from our ancestors not to blame anybody for the things that happened but to actually notice wow this is a repetitive pattern that the patterns we have in relationships have been handed down for hundreds of thousands of years a lot of that's really good. It's allowed us to, to be resilient in life. You know, our ancestors had climate change. They had plagues. They had fire and war and all the things that we're dealing with right now. So we have a built-in resiliency, but we can't contact that until we integrate and heal those wounded parts of ourselves and actually be able to be in emergent relatedness with others where we're able to allow ourselves to be seen and be with people who are open to being seen in, in the way that you see you in the part you never tell anybody, you know, in that part, to be able to be that authentic and genuine. You don't have to do that all at once. But one thing, you know, when I do the meditation retreats, I think some of you have been in meditation retreats with me before, you'll notice that you begin a meditation practice. So when you're in a meditation practice, what you'll see, thanks, Ellen, you'll see that there's this, um, you know, at first it's like nice and I'm getting relaxed and I'm just doing it for like 10 or 15 minutes. And then I think, oh, this is pretty good. I'll do a half hour, you know, and it's kind of, I see rainbows and unicorns and flowers and it's kind of happy and all of a sudden you're in a meditation and there's like bugs under your skin and and you know your mind is filled with all these horrible things that might happen and 
all this stuff. Well, that's a good meditation. Now you're getting to the stuff that really wants to be felt and seen and heard. And when we get to that, can we be with it? Because there's nothing at all broken about us. In fact, the human body and the human system works quite brilliantly. The nervous system is just protecting you and you haven't been able to integrate that part that it's been protecting you from. Like I said, these things that we think are in the way of my evolution are actually the way to my evolution, to my healing my past, to healing in the present, and to healing for future generations. When we're talking about relational intimacy, it's really about actually being with each other. Osho really said something. I have a quote. It says, intimacy is a totally different dimension. It's allowing the other to come into you, to see you as you see yourself. Allow the other to see you as you see yourself. That's, that's pretty challenging. That can be really embarrassing. I remember when I interviewed Ram Dass for my radio show years ago, and he was talking about meeting his guru, and he was standing in the back, and he wasn't really all that interested in what was going on. And all of a sudden, the, the guru looked out across and said to him, you were dreaming about your mother last night. And I was like, oh, yeah, well, you know, could be. And then he said, she died, Sir Spleen. And he was like, oh, my God. How does he know that, that I was dreaming about my mother who died and nobody even knows this? And if he knows that, oh my God, what else does he know about me? You know, there's that part of us that's protected that we don't want people to know. But intimacy, when I'm talking about it, I'm not talking about sexual intimacy or even like marriage or partnership intimacy. I'm really talking about that thing that Osha's talking about, to allow ourselves. Someone years ago told me, intimacy, into me you see. And I think that really says it all, into me you see. The willingness to actually allow ourselves to be vulnerable enough to be seen. You know, even on the internet here, it's very hard for people to turn their cameras on. And, and yet we're talking about intimacy and looking at doing a program around intimacy. but it's, it's difficult, but why is it so difficult? You know, why is it so difficult to be authentic? And much of that originates from our early adaptation and parenting we had very early, because to get a sense of self, we start out really curious, you know? I mean, babies are just open and I, I always wonder about where original sin came up because if you ever look at a baby there's no original sin there's original goodness you know i talk about that in a lot of my work but what happens is as we develop and we become who we are we get curious and we go out and we we discover things you know and then we get scared and we come back and we get nurtured or we don't get nurtured and so as a mammal, we all need to have co-regulation before we can self-regulate ourselves. So many of us did not have that. We had busy parents, we had 
ancestral hand-me-downs. My uh, grandparents, it was always children that would be seen and not heard. That was the rule in the in the house around my grandparents. You know, it was like I was just a wild kid wanting to discover things. But that place where we didn't get seen or heard or felt by our caregivers early on is how we developed. And what happened is we call it trauma now, but trauma isn't some big thing like I was molested or I was beaten or, you know, all that is trauma also. But there's the little trauma. There's a, an amazing video of uh, a mother and a really small toddler. And it was brutal to watch. It's a one minute experience where the therapist asked the mother who was playing with her maybe nine month old, I, I suspect. And then the therapist said, just, just look away out into space. And so, you know, they were playing with a dinosaur and having fun. And then she just looked off into space like this. And immediately you could see the child get really scared and then really, you know, reaching for and pretty soon within a minute, just screaming from the lack of connection and attachment and co-regulation in there. But we've all had those kinds of experiences as a child. When our parents were too tired or came home from work or sent us to our room for some reason, you know, we, we all have that experience. And what happens is when that huge fear comes up or whatever issue or anger or any of the things that isn't allowed to be seen and felt, if a child says, I'm scared, and you say, there's nothing to be scared about. Don't worry about it. It's fine. Everything's fine. Well, the child says, uh-oh, something's wrong here. Something's wrong, not with my parent, but with me, because I'm scared. And my parent says, I'm not supposed to be scared. And so I push down the fear and I adapt. And how do I adapt? I become cute. I become smart. I become, I become the caretaker of my parents. All of these different roles that we create are adaptations to our development. And so what happens is that we suppress and all of these fears and anxieties and issues that aren't seen and felt and heard live in our body. They become embodied and they become frozen past in our body. And so all of these adaptations, these ways of being that we call me, my personality, are actually much of it run by the story or the narrative that we're not even aware of because it happened maybe at one or two or three or four, but it keeps us separate from each other. And right now, the most important thing in the world, I think, to handle climate change, handle income disparity, to handle hatred, enslavement, all of these issues that are right on the front burner right now are relationship issues. And they're specifically relational issues of intimacy. We need to feel the other person and we need to be felt. So that early co-regulation with the parent is what we need now to fill the places where we didn't get it before. It wasn't something that was wrong with the parent. They were treated, you know, they treated you the same way their parents and their parents before them and was handed down through our ancestors. 
So how do we rise beyond this narrative, this story, which becomes how much can fit into my story is my ability to meet the world and to allow life to move through me. So we tend to otherize, oh, I'm not like that person. Oh, I'm not in that group of people. Oh, those people are so bad. I had a, a wonderful person, Shelly Tagelski, on my show this week. In fact, it airs Sunday. And uh, she started the pandemic of love. It's really an amazing thing that she did at the start of COVID. She started this thing called the pandemic of love. And she all she did was send out who needs help and who wants to give help in this little thing. And she just sent it out. Well, now they've I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of people have participated in this going to help someone else. And what was really telling was there were more people offering to help than there were asking for help. That was really surprising. But I mean, it was I, I felt so good to hear that, that there were way more people wanting to help than needed the help. And they've raised, I don't know, something close to $100 million and all these gifts that have been given. And one of the things that she shared with me was a letter that someone wrote who was a uh, very much a Democrat through and through, upper middle class New York Democrat. And she got paired with a woman in Mobile, Alabama in a trailer park who was a Trump supporter. And she was like, I can't do this. You know, I can't. It was for paying her PG&E bill. You know, like, I, I can't do that. So, you know, Shelly said, well, see, see, you know, what you, you might learn. So she read this letter from this woman that was so amazing about how she didn't like this person. The other person, you know, was completely opposite of her, but she, she helped her out anyway. And then she began to actually listen and they became friends still had their different points of view, but by by being of service to this person and overcoming her othering of this person and the idea of, you know, and the person was just like kind of the stereotype that she thought too, but she allowed herself to be vulnerable and the other person allowed herself to be vulnerable. And in that there was an intimacy. And that's what the this upcoming course is, is about is creating this kind of how can I meet someone where they are and be vulnerable and be open and be authentic. And so the whole work that this, uh, it's a seven week course, but I, I have just added three practice sessions. So there'll actually be 10 sessions. There's so much in this course, it's very packed. So I wanted to have just three sessions where we could just coach and work together and actually work with the issues. A lot like when I do in the advanced courses, the six month courses where I really work deeply and individually with people. But I wanna open this up. So what are the, some of the issues that are up for you in this area of intimacy, relational intimacy? I'm doing a lot of healing and a lot of aspects of me are coming to the surface that I were not even aware of. There was, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of, uh, sexual abuse and trauma that occurred that I wasn't even aware of. Yeah. A lot of aspects of me that have, um, what would you say, um, uh, maybe like fractured or whatever. And 
fragment. I'm trying to claim them all back. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you for your courage in bringing that up, first of all, and being so vulnerable to start the sharing. So something about trauma, first of all, is that it's not the trauma that's causing the suffering. It seems like, oh, the trauma is the cause of my suffering. It's actually the story we made up about the trauma or are making up about the trauma. It's the adaptation. Because if it were the trauma, there would be nothing we could do to heal because it happened in the past. But it's not that, it's the story that we carry about what happened. So just what you're doing now to begin to be authentic about it and share it. And then if you, to integrate that, we have to go to the body and feel it in our physical body. Feel the, feel the tension right now in your body when you just share about it. It's like you're, you're collapsed, your head hurts, you know, you're holding yourself in like that. So it's an issue of expanding our capacity to hold these things. And how we do that, and how we do that in relational intimacy is we actually have to co-regulate with somebody who can see us and be with us and actually have us feel ourselves being seen and felt and heard. So that allows us then to be more and more able to self-regulate because we've had somebody that can be with us to co-regulate. And much of the work that we do is about feeling each other in our nervous system. I didn't realize it, but for the longest time, I, it was hard for me to like get down into my lower body. Yeah. So when I actually do go there, it's like really, it's scary. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And that's the fear that has to be felt. And best to be done with someone who can hold you doesn't mean go home and, and, and at some point you do do, you do go home and you feel it, but it's really powerful if you can be with someone. That's why we do the groups that we do. That's what our groups are all about, is seeing the other person seeing us and seeing me seeing you and the space in between. Because right now you're being with me, right? You can see me. Can you see that I'm seeing you? Yeah. Can, can you feel that I'm feeling you? Feeling the fear and the pain that you're having in your chest? Can you feel that tightness? It's hard so to that, breathe. I'm having a hard time breathing. Ah, yeah, though. That's because your, your body is collapsed inward like this. And so you have to open that up and stay with me and breathe. And just breathe a little bit. And just be with what's the emotion that you're feeling right now? I think it's fear. It is fear. That's right. So you have to just allow yourself to touch the fear, but, but, you're, but you're being seen by me. So I see you touching that fear. That's a courageous act. There's nothing more to do but to bring awareness. Yeah. yeah. That's right. <laughs> And it's the aware, it's bringing the awareness and allowing yourself to be seen is where the intimacy is, is a healing force. And that's exactly what we're doing. We're learning to be a healing force by allowing ourselves both to be seen and then 
allowing ourselves to see others more clearly. Yeah, yeah, good. Now see, just that. Did you feel that kind of fear go down a little bit? You just released some fear? And with big trauma, like what you're talking about, the big T trauma, you have to titrate. You have to do a little bit at a time. You don't want to do it all the time because it's a lot of energy. You just allow yourself to be seen and open up a little bit and feel it. Yeah. Feel your feet on the ground now. You need to feel your feet on the ground. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, you see the difference? Now breathe. You were floating. You were floating up on me. Do you feel that? So we're just bringing you back down. You're feeling that, that fear in the chest and the throat. Yeah. It's almost like I just want to scream. <laughs> it's like there's a scream in there. Yeah. Well, you can do that. <laughs> I don't want to do that right here. <laughs> <laughs> but it's there. But you just did a, you, a piece of work right now. And don't try to do it all at once. Part of the problem is we try to handle all of it at once. You just do a little bit. So you feel seen? Do you feel seen? Yeah. So you just now was very courageous to share that in front of all these people. It was like they weren't even there. I was looking at you and I wasn't even paying no attention to anybody else. But they, but they were with you. And I promise you that everyone got something out of that in little interaction. So you contributed by sharing your pain and your fear. And that's how we create intimacy. Oh, it's so much easier with another person. That's right. That's exactly what I'm saying is that when you can't self-regulate, you have to co-regulate. And that's what this training is all about, learning how to do that learning how to allow ourselves to be seen and felt and learning how to feel and see someone else in a safe container because safety is really important thank you for that michael yeah you're welcome to you thank you everybody for holding space with me anyone else want to jump in and ask a question or say anything or do a piece of work Michael, I thank you for that. And uh, hello, everybody. I don't know how to formulate this. So let me see how I do. But it's a sense that given the bar that we just felt and just going into the, the big T traumas that exist and that we're all a part of, I have a tendency um, to gravitate in intimate relations with um, of course, the opposite energies, the mirror of where I am boundaryless, there is there tends to be often really deep protection, closing, um, deflection tendencies in the other. And um, right now, just noting the vulnerability of um, embracing the everything that is me, that is my, my history, the allowance to say, and what is present tense? How am I projecting most likely from the consistent 
ongoing healing of the big T's from ancestral, which is very conscious on my part right now, rather than just embracing literally the presence of my own freedom to be intimate, I tend to take on and a mesh with, yeah, a meshment is probably a deep one, but try to carry the pain for others. I think that's the bottom line is how do I allow a, a presence and relationship with those suffering, not take it on and be able to basically transmute? That's a lot. I know that was all over the place, but I got it. I got it. I got it. First question I want to ask is which of your parents were you the caretaker of? I'm currently the caregiver for my mother who, yeah, dementia and throughout her life, we were the emotional support for her. So so can you see that that that's a very old adaptation that something Mm -hmm. happened right where your response to it, whatever it was, the what happened, you don't have to have the explicit, the implicit energetic of it is fine. That right. you said, I need to be the caretaker here. It's often right. like, well, my parents aren't going to take care of me because they're not around. So I'm going right. to take care of them. Right. right. And then we play that out in our relationships over and over and over again until we learn to you know, you mentioned boundarylessness. It's 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 more. There's something that you're calling in. Yeah. You know? It's like if you look what we all have something written on our T-shirt, right? Like love me, or I'm here to help, <laughs> or I'm so cute, or I'm so handsome. We all have that <laughs> written on our T-shirt. Everybody knows it, you know. So it's like, but look at what the cost of that is to you. Right. There's a there's a loss of self and there's a loss of real intimacy. So you when you do that with someone who's not available, that makes you safe. So what I'm getting back, how I'm feeding the the discount. You may you may try to draw it out and you want this, you know, say I something I learned a long time ago as somebody who's been leading workshops for God, almost 50 years <laughs> and being up in front of the room, being the leader is the easiest place to hide. Yep. Because I'm, I'm always helping people. So I don't, I do get vulnerable with people because as a therapist, it's, you know, my job, which a lot of therapists would not agree with, by the way. So I have to come to grips with and, and begin to be authentic about how I hide in the front of 500 people, I can stand up and be hiding and share well, but there's, there's that part that's held back, that real. And so what this work is about is, is the conversation I'm having emergent? In other words, you, you notice I don't do notes in most of my talks or have any particular plan it's well i have a direction but i don't have a particular plan i'd love my plan is i'd love for all of you to do this course it may be the last online course i'm going to do by the way but the ability to be to be presencing what's occurring moment to moment 
is emergent and it's the home of creativity, authenticity, innovation, and futuring, bringing a new future, which is what we're wanting to do right now. We need a new future. The one that we're heading towards that's very predictable is not very pretty at this point. And the alternatives are getting narrower and narrower. So, you know, the two things that I'm really committed to and service to is healing trauma and healing the wound that keeps us separated, alienate, and marginalized between each other, healing the wound of separation. So relationships. And so if you already know everything about your partner or your mother or your whoever in your life, your boss, and you already know everything there is to know about them, that is all coming from the past. It is non-emergent. It does not have any ounce of possibility in it. It's only, and most of us have taken our past and we filed it in our future. And then we live into it and say, oh, look, I'm doing well. But there's no creativity. There's no possibility. There's no innovation because that comes out of actually letting go of what you know and becoming curious and bringing a sense of wonder and authenticity and vulnerability and wonder to our relationships, Mm -hmm. which we don't do. You know, think about, you know, we wake up in the morning with our partner and we go, oh, hi, honey. Oh, oh, you should brush your teeth, you know, or something. But what if we woke up in the morning and, whoa, who is this person that I'm with now? What amazing things are going to happen today? Who are you? I don't know who you are. Tell me who you are today. That's a whole different kind of relating. It's not like getting up putting your clothes on the same way, having the same breakfast, going, remembering an old song by Pete Seeger, I think, boxes made of ticky-tacky. You know, it's kind of, we just do the same thing. We go to the, through all these same steps. But meanwhile, life is just happening to us, but it's not happening through us. And so relational intimacy is about having life live through us. How do we allow ourselves to be vulnerable and open and authentic enough to let life live through us. Because in the current state, most people, if you have a choice about evolving, growing, becoming, or belonging, which one do you think you'll choose? Personally, me? Um, <laughs> I could go with growing, man. Yeah. But your past-based identity will always choose belonging Mm -hmm. because it threatens your becoming. My becoming is threatened. My becoming threatens my belonging. You know, I work with a lot of uh, couples and, and when somebody starts on, say, a spiritual path or is really growing fast, it's a huge threat to the other partner. And I see this all the time in, in relationships where someone, you know, they don't say it, they, they do it in other ways, but there's this like, oh my God, you know, I'm going to lose this partnership. I'm not going to belong here anymore because this person is meditating and doing all these things and I'm still doing my thing, whatever that is. My all the ways that I, that I don't have to feel the feelings that I feel. 
in order to have relational intimacy, we have to be willing to be vulnerable, to be authentic, and to be open to that which we don't know. And that's what the course coming up is about. Thank you, Molly. Wonderful. I hope that was useful for you. Yeah, thank you. I know other people, I'm sure, got value out of that, too. We Earth Radio is an independently produced program supported by listeners like you. We are committed to bringing you leading-edge thinkers in the areas of environmental restoration, social justice, conscious evolution, and spiritual fulfillment. If you would like to receive our complimentary newsletter, The Well of Light, make a contribution, or listen to any of our past shows, go to our website, welloflight.com. Thank you so much for your commitment to a world that works for all life.